0: Hello, Buckeye fans, and welcome to another episode of the Buck Nuts Happy Hour. We're recording this on August 22nd, Tuesday morning. Doing a little differently today uh, just because of some scheduling stuff. So uh, we're not recording live. We had the BM5 that was recording uh, the live version basically right before this, so we couldn't make it work with our setup. Um, so this will be available where you normally find the, the morning five and the happy hour. It just won't be the live version. And uh, no beer today, at least not yet. I'm starting the day with water. It's too early for this on Tuesday. So uh, we'll get back to a more normal schedule with the happy hour. Maybe even do another one later this week. Uh, but definitely next week as we had in Ohio State's first game. Um, we're going to talk some Buckeyes for sure during this podcast. Uh, some big news coming out of Ohio State yesterday, Monday, um, when, when we got the chance to meet with Ryan Day. But first we want to do something a little different and Ohio State's obviously got three games to start the year, beginning with Indiana uh, to open the season. But that week four game, I think, is the one that everyone has circled. And we wanted to kind of get a head start on talking about that. And uh, because we're part of the 247 Sports Network, that's not hard to do. So I reached out to our friend Tim O'Malley over at Irish Illustrated. Tim, thanks for joining me. Uh, As we were just talking about before we started recording, you're about to head over to Dublin for Notre Dame's first game of the season. So I know you're busy, but I do appreciate you jumping on here for a few minutes with us.
1: Yeah, it's a unique start. I'm glad to do it because this was actually supposed to open the uh, COVID season in 2020. Yeah. So that that's be fun to get out there.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I wish Ohio State would do something like that. I mean, I always love that first weekend when Ohio State's played like on a Thursday night and I can just watch college football. But right, right. Chance to go over to uh, to Ireland for a trip would, would not be terrible uh, at all. That's I assume based on your last name and my last name, that we're both Irish here. So pretty yes. cool opportunity. Uh, okay. Well, let's dive in it. And before we get into this year's Notre Dame team, um, I want to go back to last season. I know Ohio state fans were obviously aware of what happened week one, the the Marshall game that next week <laughs> was well documented uh, the loss there, but Notre Dame finishes the season nine and four, um, you know, only two losses the rest of the way. So can you quickly kind of recap how the season went after those those early weeks for Ohio State fans that maybe weren't as as
1: dialed in on Notre Dame? And then we'll get into what's coming up this season. Yeah, I think it's important to note, um, I believe Ohio State beat Notre Dame twice with that win in Columbus. I think they got them the next week too with the Marshall preparation. Now, Marshall did kind of out did outplay Notre Dame. Tyler Buckner really struggled throwing the ball. Marshall had two strengths, I think, and that was two corners that are NFL worthy. They were going against – subpar wide receivers that were very young and they shut them down they got Buckner twice one for a pick six that sealed the game um, the recovery from and then Buckner was lost for the season at that point until the Gator Bowl the recovery from that was pretty impressive it would have been a I think people would have been talking about Freeman a little more if when you said they went nine and two the rest of the way that's exactly true had they gone 10 and one in either way had they not blown not blown had they not laid an egg against Stanford which is much le- worse than the Marshall loss for Ohio State fans that didn't watch Stanford last year. They were terrible. Marshall's a better team than Stanford. Um and then USC obviously Notre Dame could have beaten Caleb Williams instead of crowning him as the Heisman king as it happened that night. That would have been that would have changed the narrative for Notre Dame. Instead it became a big Gator Bowl. There's really no such thing in 2022, but it was for Mar- Marcus Freeman I think. I think going 8 and 5 there and losing to USC and South Carolina to end the season. Would have been a bad way to end his first year. You figure you lose your first two and your last two. That's that's never something that Notre Dame fans are going to accept. So it was a season below expectations because you can't lose to Marshall if you're named Notre Dame, uh, and you can't lose to that Stanford team if you're anybody because that was really the only Power 5 team they took out last year. It was, it was a, a very poor team. Now, they have an NFL quarterback in Tanner McKee. It wasn't like they didn't have a shot, but that's a night game at Notre Dame in mid-October that's usually like the feature game for Notre Dame their second feature game right. is that mid-October night versus USC or Stanford I don't know how you come up lame in that one but they did and I think that is what really created an issue for Irish fans of course two weeks like three weeks later they destroyed number four Clemson at home and all was forgotten at that point for Notre Dame fans that wanted to be happy because they like Marcus Freeman um, I think it was very important that uh, looking back that Notre Dame did that to Clemson that evening because that is the night that Brian Kelly beat Alabama Notre Dame had lost to Clemson when Brian Kelly beat Alabama. There would have been an issue. So it was a pretty big rebound by Freeman. Could have been huge if they would have gotten that USC game, uh, but Caleb Williams was too good for them that day.
0: Okay, as you look ahead to this year, Marcus Freeman, year two, uh, just kind of what are your expectations? And we'll go into the kind of specifics here in a minute, but just generally your expectations coming into this season, uh, and obviously we'll focus on the Ohio State game more, later and, and as we get closer. But uh, what, uh, what are you kind of
1: expecting from the Irish this year? You know, the oddity is we're not going to know anything about Notre Dame, I don't think, um, until after week three when they come back from NC State because they play their first ever FCS team after they play Navy, uh, Tennessee State. Um, part of the reasoning for that is that is a, a viable game to have without a break when they come back from Dublin. They don't. Last time they went to Dublin in 2012, they ended up going undefeated. But they all, the game they almost lost – was week two against Purdue. They won on a field goal at the last second. Tommy Reese actually came in to, to uh, rally them for the uh, game drive, game-winning drive there for a field goal. You don't want to come back and play a real team. Uh, no, no disrespect, but you want to play an FCS team in that situation. Yeah. So we don't know much about Notre Dame because, I mean, Navy's a viable opponent for Notre Dame. They always have been. If you can't beat Navy with this extra time to prepare, though, usually Navy gets you in a, in a tricky spot. Um and usually Navy is a pretty good right now. This doesn't project as a really good Navy team that we can see. They should have a pretty good defense. So I would think Notre Dame would handle Navy. Some weird stuff with a new coach and the opener, of course, and Brian Newberry. But that game at NC State, the first road game, Sam Hartman, actually, in his last two games against NC State, I think he's thrown five picks. Um, so that would be something to avoid if you're Notre Dame. You get that early stumble because Certainly they have to be 4-0 going Central Michigan's next, by the way. It's a really weird September for Notre Dame fans. Um, they have to be 4-0 going to that Ohio State game. Because after that, it is Ohio State, two road ACC games, USC, a home ACC game, Clemson. I mean, that, that's a tough stretch for the Irish right there. They should finish strong with Wake Forest, because Wake Forest doesn't have Sam Hartman, and then at Stanford but it's a seven game stretch where, I mean, you've got to be four and going to Ohio state and take a shot at the Buckeyes at home. Um, I suppose the only problem there is you might be better off catching Ohio state in this situation where they don't have CJ Stroud earlier in the year than in week five. I mean, they will, they will have settled in at that point. I think offensively with the quarterback situation and anything else, but boy, Notre Dame has to start four and O we're trying to go through our game by game predictions. And I, I usually think, even though Brian Kelly started proving us wrong on this in his last few years, he won 40 in a row when he was favored to to conclude his Notre Dame career. They used to lose one game a year where you just looked like, how in the world did they drop that game? There were two last year, Marshall and Stanford. I don't think, as a Notre Dame fan, you could eradicate that from your thoughts, that Marcus Freeman, in his second year as a head coach, isn't going to lay an egg one time trying to get his team up for a game that isn't one of the big three, like Ohio State, USC, Clemson. Notre Dame's flying high for those games. That's, that's going to be huge, too, at home. Pittsburgh, when they come to Notre Dame, is always like a slugfest sleeper game that you don't understand why it's so close. That could be one. There's a nice healthy hatred from Pat Narduzzi towards Notre Dame. I think that's a, that helps the rivalry a little bit, the pseudo-rivalry there. There's the back-to-back road games a lot of people are pointing to. After Ohio State, they go to Duke, and then they go to Louisville without a break. And At that point, they will have played seven games in seven weeks. That adds up a little bit sometimes before you can have your first buy. Um, so I think that's one thing to look at is if Notre Dame has to avoid those pitfalls, it's okay to lose to Ohio State at home. I mean, it might put playoff participation in jeopardy mm-hmm. if you do that. But if you're 6-1 and one going to USC and you can rally and beat USC and Caleb Williams, I think Notre Dame fans would take that, being 7-1, and one, getting into that last part of the schedule with Clemson on the horizon.
0: You mentioned playoff. I mean, is that the goal ultimately for, for this year's team?
1: Yeah, because you can lose a game when you play Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. Yeah. Assuming Ohio State, USC, and Clemson are all good. I mean, they have to be top 10 teams. If you go 2-1, and one, you'll make the playoffs. Provided you don't blow the game to Pitt or to Louisville right. or something along those lines. That's why I find those games to be a little bit of traps that people aren't thinking about. Hosting Ohio State in September is going to be huge for Marcus Freeman uh, and, and this program. Even if you drop that game, if you rally and beat Caleb Williams in October, that's huge. And if you beat Ohio State and Caleb Williams gets you, and I mean, you—if you haven't seen USC's schedule, USC will be undefeated when they come to Notre Dame. It's not that they have a terrible schedule; it's that they have a terrible beginning to their schedule. They Notre Dame is their first test. Then they get everybody that the Pac-12 has to offer, basically, or whatever the Pac-4 as it is now. But the used to be Pac-12 has to offer. So, um, Clemson, I, you would—you would think they'd rally enough to maybe only have one loss at that point. I know they have Florida State. They. They have Duke. Clemson is going to be favored in every game, including the Notre Dame game. But if Notre Dame can go two and one, and that's a tall task, two and one against Ohio State, USC, and Clemson, you're in position at 11 and one to be the fourth team in. I, I think they would be, actually. Um, Ohio State's probably the most important one to win. I think it's more of a statement win than USC. Um, at Cle- now, at undefeated Clemson would be a statement win, of course, as well. Yeah. Um, but Ohio State will be undefeated when this happens. Uh, and I, I think that would catch... I think Notre Dame's a 7-point underdog now where they're a one-point favorite against USC. I know voters in the committee don't necessarily think about that, but I, I think Ohio State's presence in college football would be a huge win for Notre Dame, even though it's in South Bend. I think that would kind of catapult them into the conversation right away.
0: I think these early non-conference games are always so interesting because, like you said, we don't tend to know a lot about the yeah. team. I mean, you know, we cover the preseason and, and whatnot, but – those are the games that kind of start to dictate the, how, how the rest of the year works. Right. So I think this game, you know, obviously last year it, it was telling for both teams. Uh, but we do get a little bit of a preview. You know, we, you mentioned Notre Dame schedule, Ohio state does have a big 10 game to open the season. So we will know a little bit about both right. teams, but uh, not, not a ton.
1: So now if you're, if your uh, listeners don't know, um, the Tennessee State game, Eddie George is the head coach. I don't know if, if yeah, Ohio State fans know that. It's an HBCU. That's the first HBCU right. Notre Dame is playing, but having Eddie George as the head coach coming to South Bend is going to be pretty cool. It's just obviously an overmatched team. I thought if you really wanted to make that a historic game, you should go to Tennessee State, and I know logistically speaking, it would probably be really rough, but imagine the alumni for that school hosting Notre Dame, I and mean, it's going to be fun for them to come to South Bend, of course, but I always think if you really want to do something special with a historically black college, like Notre Dame basketball went to Howard last year to play a that lot easier here. than Notre Dame football going somewhere, of course, but yeah. that would have been pretty cool. Sorry for the segue, but that's Eddie George coming up. So that'll be kind of fun for fans. Well, no, that is a good point. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that.
0: Uh, okay. Let's, let's look at, at kind of personnel wise. Uh, we'll start with Sam Hartman. Obviously uh, a, I think everyone would agree an upgrade at yeah. quarterback. Um, he was, Second team, all ACC in 2021, third team last year. You you can run through the numbers if you want on on what he's done, but just having a player like that come out of the transfer portal for Notre Dame, what does that do for this offense in year two under
1: Marcus? I mean, it's a massive upgrade because quarterback was the problem last year. It it really was. Um, Drew Pine had decent stats, but it was the shots he didn't even take that were killing them. I mean, if you want to go back and watch the Navy game last year, he just shut down as a human being when Navy was bringing zero blitz in the second half. I mean, they were, it was 35 to 10 and all of a sudden it was 35, 32 and Notre couldn't gain a yard. If they do that against Sam Hartman. Those are going to be touchdown passes. And right. I don't, I don't think Hartman's like the a top five quarterback nationally, but I saw a list of Joel from Joel Klatt, who I respect. And he had guys like Spencer Rattler and Graham Mertz and on the list and no Sam Hartman. I would take Sam Hartman in a heartbeat after those top five guys in college football. I mean if he was better than that he'd be in the NFL right now probably right he had to come to Notre Dame to raise his profile uh he doesn't he doesn't project in terms of size as an NFL player although I think that matters a little less nowadays the way offenses are but it's a huge upgrade he'll be their best I mean he'll be their most accurate passer and their best quarterback since junior year Jimmy Clausen. Clausen. I know uh, people think Clausen had a bad career at Notre Dame he had two bad teams and then he had a, a great tremendous junior season as a passer um that's a long time ago. Whether you want to argue Brady Quinn or Jimmy Clausen, two thousand nine, two thousand six, uh, Deshaun Kaiser was really good for a year or The year Ohio State beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, but I, th- I think Hartman will exceed that. And Marcus Freeman mentioned, look, he has seen everything. He's not going to shrink from any moment. He's not going to shrink if you go behind by two touchdowns at Ohio at, at NC State because something weird happens if he throws a pick six if Ohio state and Notre Dame go back and forth the whole time, Sam Hartman will be, you know, doesn't mean he wins the game. He's going against good players, but he's not shrinking from any moment. So I think it's the first time in a long time. Notre Dame can go into most games where they say we have the better quarterback, obviously not in mid October with Caleb Williams, but Notre Dame is going to have a, a wash or an advantage at quarterback other weeks. And that's, that really benefits this team because I think their lines are very good. And I think they really needed the ability to score, um, without it like pulling teeth like it was last year. Mm-hmm. Offensively, you just had to I mean you had to you had to complete ten play drives and that that's just too much against good teams.
0: Right. Um, weapons around him, you mentioned earlier the receivers last year were, were young guys. Obviously one of those receivers who made the big play in, in the Ohio State game, Lorenzo Styles, is now a cornerback for Ohio State, yeah. which I still am still wrapping my head around that whole thing. thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But uh, what what will Sam Hartman have around him? You said you think the offensive line will be good. Who, who are the guys that Ohio State fans going into the season maybe can pay attention to in some of these early games?
1: Yeah, I tell you what, um, the offensive line is the best unit offensively coming into camp. Now I think it might be the running backs. I, I It's possible they're getting too much hype. Um, there's a lot of stories going around that it's the first ever five-headed monster at Notre Dame. Uh, five guys are supposed to play at running back led by Audrick Estime. Uh, a, Penn State transfer Devin Ford is 2C. Uh, Jadarian Price, who missed last year with a ruptured Achilles. He was supposedly better than Estime and Diggs as a true freshman, but he ruptured his Achilles. He's 2B. Um, there's another guy, Jabron Payne, who came in from IU. He followed his uh, position coach, Dillon McCullough, came to Notre Dame. Yep. And then Jeremiah Love is the fastest, one of the fastest players on the team as a true freshman. So they think, led by Audrick Estime and Jadarian Price, I, they really like the offensive line and those running backs. Uh, offensive line, Sam Hartman's one of the best tack- – excuse me, Sam Hartman. Joe Alt is one of the best tackles of the country. He's a true junior, the name you recognize because of John Alt probably. But he was a first-team All-American last year as a soft- or true sophomore. Not a redshirt, but a true sophomore. Uh, Blake Fisher on the other side is what people believe is the next All-American after Joe Alt. And then Zeke Carell is the starting fifth-year center. It's always good when your starting center started a playoff game against Alabama in 2020. So he's been around quite a bit. Um, offensive line and running backs and quarterback are the strength. There is no Michael Mayer. They always have good tight ends at Notre Dame, but there's no Michael Mayer in this mix. And if you noticed, I haven't gotten to the wide receivers yet. It was a bit of a bumpy road, uh, using Marcus Freeman's exact quote yesterday for the wide receivers and Sam Hartman in camp. He said they got better together. Flat out. We saw two full practices and then parts of nine other ones. The parts of nine take it with a grain of salt because I don't see a lot of one-on-ones. Sure. The cornerbacks, which is Notre Dame's best unit ever. And if any Ohio state fan has followed Notre Dame over the last four decades, no one has ever said the cornerbacks are Notre Dame's best unit that has literally never happened. The cornerbacks murdered Notre Dame's wide receivers in one-on-one. It was a Benjamin Morrison and cam Hart celebration, just going out and knocking passes away from contested plays. Um, There's a couple guys to watch. True sophomore Tobias Merriweather, number five. He's the one that looks like when he walks in that he plays for Georgia or Ohio State. When he walks in the room, you think, oh, my God, how's that guy not going to be good? There's another guy that looks like that, Deion Colsey, but he fell down the depth chart along with Lorenzo Styles, but did not move to corner. Uh, Jaden Thomas, who was not even a player in the Notre Dame-Ohio State game last year. He was their most improved player as the year progressed. Um, He's the consistent guy that will play the most in terms of he's a really good blocker. He'll catch the ball he can make some plays downfield but they really need Tobias Merriweather to break out they move Chris Tyree who was the starting running back last year to slot he's the fastest guy on the team probably um they love him in slot I'm in full wait and show me mode for Chris Tyree to to do that of course and then there's two freshmen that I love Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores they're on the rotation they came in um in the spring the two freshman wide receivers you're counting on them I mean there's gonna be bumps in the road for them over 12 games too so If you're an Ohio State fan watching Notre Dame looking for a telltale sign, I think when they play NC State, see if number five Tobias Merriweather is making plays by then. And if one of those receivers, Greathouse or Flores, is a security blanket for Hartman, because they are are really good natural receivers. I don't mean like they're projecting to the NFL right away, like an Olave. But Jaden Greathouse is going to catch a lot of balls in South Bend over four years. And that's, I think if he starts now, that would really help the offense.
0: I think it's interesting just listening to you kind of break that down. It's almost, and we can, we don't need to dive into too much of the actual matchups we can do as we get closer, but like Ohio state has offensive line questions and quarterback questions, wide receiver running back should be pretty good. If, if mm-hmm. everything else comes together, it sounds the run, other than the running back room, it sounds like the opposite for, for Notre <laughs> Dame offensive line is going to be really good. You like what you got at quarterback, but maybe not the weapons to throw to. So, right.
1: interesting, interesting. He's um, some over, trades. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. That'd, that'd be nice. I, know, I remember a few years ago well, there, there was one trade, right? Lorenzo Styles <laughs> for Javante jean yeah. Baptiste, but that's not exactly what teams we were look, we were looking for. So. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, speaking of
0: the defense, um, if you kind of flip over to that side of the ball, who similarly who are the guys Ohio State fans should know coming into the season? Who are guys that could could be difference makers? For Notre Dame this year,
1: so the best players. He was a freshman All American last year. Benjamin Morrison. He kind of won the, or sealed the Clemson game with a pick six and another interception that set up a touchdown. He, he's a very good corner. He it won't be. He's good for a freshman anymore. He's just a straight up good corner. He'll he'll be in the NFL after his junior year. He's a true sophomore. Uh, he actually got his. He didn't start at Ohio State in the opener, but when we saw Benjamin Morrison come out and take over for a senior, with on um, I think it was after it was after the Harrison touchdown you're like, well, they like this guy. If you're putting a freshman out there in Columbus after the touchdown happens. um, So Benjamin Morrison's probably the best player of the group. All the linebackers are back from last year. Um, There's going to be a really heavy rotation at corner. They will go five deep at corner, five deep at safety. Four deep at linebacker when they play two or three that I think they might be a nickel defense. They're trying not to let that out every time they talk to us, but it keep the way they talk about personnel, it just sounds like they're trying to be a nickel defense. Uh, they got a graduate transfer, Thomas Harper from Oklahoma State, who's been a nickel starter in the in the uh, big what's it called now? Big 12 for, for a few years. Um, up front was the big question for me. I exited spring ball saying I think Notre Dame has a nice eight man rotation of backups on the defensive line. Okay. Not a full compliment because I didn't mention st- that anything could start. They were really good in camp. Uh, the interior defensive lines of four-man rotation, and they were better than Notre Dame's guards in center. Now Notre Dame was trying to find new guards. They lost two fifth-year seniors from last year. So there's some rotation going on there. But the interior quartet was really good. The question is, they're going to rotate five guys, including Baptiste, on the two edges. Um can they replace Isaiah Foskey as a natural pass rusher in third down situations? I mean, I think they're going to get to the quarterback, but you know, the difference when you have four guys up front, it's third and eight and you can just unleash those four guys. They, they will probably be manufacturing a pass rush more um, with some of the linebackers and edge guys. So that is the big question because if you can be exotic up front and create some havoc and you have really good cornerbacks you can create some plays defensively. Um, the best way to say about their cornerbacks is it's not like the backups are tremendous corners, but when your fourth corner or fifth corner started a playoff game in 2020 and he's still there, that's good depth when he's your fifth corner and basically your backup nickel. So I think they've really developed on the back end. Um, if Notre Dame media is right, that the defensive line is the most improved group that we kind of from our perception coming into camp to the end of camp, they will have a very good defense. Uh, as you know, if we're wrong, there's no such thing as a very good defense with eight backup defensive linemen up front. Yeah. But I, I, w- I would amend that now. I don't feel like it's eight backup defensive linemen. I think they have three quality starters, five, six, seven quality backups. So it is a pretty good group up front.
0: Let me ask you this. Just kind of the vibe coming into the season about this game. Um, obviously, you got to get through the first few weeks, but I know at least... Columbus and and with Ohio State fans, everyone expects to, to kind of waltz through those games. So the talk about the Notre Dame game has been going on for, for months. Uh, what What's kind of the vibe? And obviously having Ohio State come to South Bend this year, what, what do you think that's going to be like?
1: Yeah, I think um, it it's, this is a weird way to bring it up, but it's really important that Notre Dame killed Clemson last year in Clemson's first big trip to South, or sec, it was their first big trip to South Bend because they beat them during the COVID year, actually, and no, yeah. no Clemson fans were on campus. It was kind of like a statement for Notre Dame fans, saying that you know we're going to start protecting this house. I think, I think they expect Notre Dame fans expect to be able to beat Ohio State because there is no CJ Stroud situation. I think realistic fans can look last year and think, I mean, they played great, but CJ Stroud got him in the end, right? I mean that his numbers didn't get him, but CJ Stroud on those last two drives, especially that go-ahead touchdown drive, was just well, that was the magic you thought you might get all season long from CJ Stroud. He saved it for Notre Dame for one drive and then for the playoffs instead. But, you know, I I think right or wrong, Notre Dame fans say this is the one time they're vulnerable because as you mentioned, quarterback situation is not 100% set in stone. Offensive line is not 100% set in stone. I mean, there's obviously great players everywhere, but we keep seeing all Ohio state's receivers in the NFL. So you figure they got, how many do they have at this point? But obviously that's still the strength of the team. So I think Notre Dame fans expect will be a great atmosphere there. And I don't think you're going to see Notre Dame fans are really sensitive about this. I don't think you're going to see the Georgia takeover of Ohio state fans. You might have in the past because of the Georgia takeover that happened a couple years ago when, when they came up. Um, I think Irish fans feel like it's their chance to get Ohio state um, with some healthy respect for how much talent is there. And they probably would not feel that way going to Columbus. Like that, they don't, I don't think they view Notre Dame as, oh, they're going to walk in anywhere and be able to beat anybody just because they have Sam Hartman. But I feel like this is almost like, if not now, when they're kind of ripe for it. Um, you, you, you can say that about USC because Notre Dame might have a better roster than USC, but USC has that guy that yeah. <laughs> crossed so many problems last year. If, if you're not a Notre Dame fan with healthy respect for Caleb Williams, you did not watch the game last year because he had a force field built around him while he was dancing around making Notre Dame defenders, who I thought were pretty good, look foolish. So, I think there's high expectations and right or wrong without CJ Stroud. I think people are aiming at, well, now's the time, right? This is the time to make it hard on a team in South Bend under the lights. And I think it will be a tremendous atmosphere. Last year's Clemson was a really good atmosphere. Um, And if you think about that, Notre Dame was already a three loss team when Clemson came in and it was a heck of an atmosphere. So this should be be undefeated. What would that be? Number three for Ohio State at that point? Number four, Ohio State and number seven, Notre Dame in that situation. I do think it's interesting you mentioned kind of that, that
0: Georgia takeover. I've had a number of friends who were at least planning on going, and the second ra- or the secondary market ticket prices have uh, made them at least question that. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to be tough. a very expensive one. Uh, so, yeah, I think that'll be interesting. I've never been before. I'm very much looking forward to coming in and, and covering the game there. Um, see, yeah, you
1: know what they do really well with night games now? They actually learned from some other school. I'm not kidding. They learned from some other schools on how to really create an atmosphere there. They learned from Georgia. Notre Dame went to Georgia in 2019 and every once in a while I feel like Notre Dame media oh, doesn't not that we overrate atmosphere somewhere else, but we only go when Notre Dame is there. So yeah. like Georgia was losing its mind having Notre Dame come to Athens for the first time. The light show was out of this world. Ohio State fans, I know they've had Notre Dame before, but with, I mean that was a pretty big deal opening the season with Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. Yeah. So we go to these games where you see like, yeah, they're not playing IU. I mean, did, does does Columbus look like that when they play IU or Notre Dame and Michigan? Yeah. Like, there's a big difference. So it should be a great atmosphere for Ohio State this year for for Columbus and for the uh, excuse me for the fans from Columbus that do come into the game.
0: Yeah, last year was the first time I went to cover a game at Penn State that wasn't the whiteout at night, and it was still a great atmosphere. But right. It was- right. You know, it's still Ohio State and Penn State, but it was a noon game, and it, so it was just different. Uh, I, I, we've talked about that with among the Ohio State beat as well of, like, you know, what is, what is Madison on a
1: Saturday morning at 11 a.m. <laughs> not, not the same as if Ohio State comes in and they're playing right. jump around and everybody's going crazy at night. Like, the only noon game that works for that is Ohio State-Michigan. Right. Yeah, they figured that one out somehow. Yeah.
0: All right, Tim. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, again, have a safe trip. Um, Enjoy it. And as we get closer to this game, I'm sure we'll talk more. I'd love to have you back on the week of the game and and really kind of
1: get into the nuts and bolts of it once we go. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, us hope they're both undefeated. If not, that's a real lead balloon on this matchup, right?
0: (laughs) Especially given the schedules there.
1: Yes, that's what I mean.
0: Right. All right. Well, thanks again. We'll talk soon and, and have a safe trip. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. All right. See you later. That was Tim O'Malley from our Irish illustrated two four seven sports site that covers Notre Dame. Uh, If you haven't already checked out some of their work in kind of the the build-up to this season and heading towards that game, I recommend it. They do great stuff over there. And uh, yeah, you can, you can kind of, you can learn about the opponent without having to read our coverage of it. People that actually cover it every day, we're going to shift over to some of the more relevant Ohio state news here. Um, if you missed it, and I imagine you did not, if you're watching or listening to this, Ryan Day held his press conference on Monday and made no announcement on the quarterback situation in terms of naming a starter. Instead, it was uh, <laughs> it, it was that they they don't have a starter. Um, and and I think it's important to be very clear that I don't view this, and I think Ryan Day doesn't view this as not having a guy who could start and be successful. It's more a sense of these two guys have both been very good. Um, and and kind of the analogy that Ryan Day used was a horse race and that they've been back and forth in terms of one guy starts to pull away um, and then the other guy catches up. Um, you know, I think that's a very honest uh, assessment of Ryan Day and, and Look, he's definitely stood at the that same podium he was at on Monday and and I don't want to say lied, but, you know, fudge the truth on things as all coaches do in the past. I mean, he, he told us a few years ago that while Justin Fields was the week one starter in, in 2019, that there would continue to be competition. I think everybody in the room then knew that that was, that was not happening. Chris Chuganoff and Gunnar Hope weren't beating out Justin Fields. But I think right now for Ohio State uh, – know he's been very honest and and the 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 kind of mood of ryan day yesterday uh was interesting i thought because if he comes in and and says that there's still not a starting quarterback but wants you to believe that things are going to be okay he has to convey that in in the right way if if you go watch the video i think ryan was in a, a, a really upbeat mood i think he's excited for both of these guys um I view this competition differently than I think a, a lot of them have in the past. And especially ones where you, you do end up playing both quarterbacks and, and we'll still see if that happens. And I want to touch on that in a second, but I think a lot of times when you have this situation, you've got kind of the incumbent guy who's been good, not great. And then you have this young guy that everyone's really excited about. That was probably pretty highly recruited. And so it's like, Okay, how do we get both guys involved? Because we we don't want to just go completely away from kind of the returning veteran guy who's been solid, but we do like the upside and, and what could possibly be of this young, you know, usually a freshman, sometimes a, a sophomore, and how you know how can we get him on the field to have him ready, and you know maybe he takes over the job. Um, Michigan was an example of that last year. I know JJ McCarthy wasn't a freshman, but you had Cade McNamara back. And early in the season, both guys played. Eventually, J.J. McCarthy takes the job. Uh, You can go back, if you want an Ohio State one, Todd Beckman, Terrell Pryor, the way that that played out. um, Obviously, losing at USC and and the way that game was, I think, played a part. But Terrell Pryor was going to play some, if not a lot, that season. So this situation is different because while you do have one guy who is a year older, he doesn't have a ton more experience, he being Kyle McCord, than Devin Brown. I mean, he did start that Akron game. that was two seasons ago. The the team is very different. Um, You know, it was Akron. And so, you know, that, that was, you you expected Kyle McCord, even though it was his first career start and he was a true freshman to go out and just be able to handle that game. And he did. So I think then you look at, you know, Devin Brown's played in what two games or so and has like 13 total snaps, hasn't thrown a pass. So Kyle McCord definitely has more experience, but this isn't a situation of like, you know, if, if CJ Stroud were still here and and Devin Brown had just come in and was really exciting. These are two guys that that don't have a lot of separation, uh, between them. Now I do think McCord's experience could play a factor as, as we continue to move towards the season and, and as this competition plays out. Um, but Devin Brown has done enough to kind of negate that at least in practice. And I think you can, if you look at the two, I think Kyle McCord gives you kind of the the more veteran, and again, not a ton of experience, but he's been in the program. This is third season in the program, so he understands everything there. Um, you know, he just at least when we've been out to watch some practice, and that wasn't a ton this fall camp, a bit more consistency, calm, steady. You know, move around, moves around the pocket well, and then Devin Brown. I think you get maybe, I don't want to say a higher ceiling, but maybe a chance for that like wow moment uh, a bit more than, than you do with Kyle McCord. Uh, you know He can make the throws, but he can also take off and run. Uh, he does have, even though Kyle McCord pushes back on this, he's the more athletic of the two, or at least the more willing to to run. And Kyle is not as much of a statue as C.J. Stroud was through mo- most of his Ohio State career, but he's, he's definitely a, more on the pocket passer side than the dual threat side. And so I think when you, when you watch the two guys play, okay, so maybe Kyle's completion percentage is better on a given day, but you just see what Devin Brown can do. And remember they're, they're not completely live, even in these scrimmages, you're not hitting the quarterback. So Devin Brown isn't really able to, he is able, but he's not needed to do as much of the, the mobile stuff. Um, I believe ryan day when when he says that they let's let's be honest he said that he would prefer to have been able to name a quarterback um and i think everybody would have preferred that right but the fact that you've had kind of that you use the horse race analogy again like that back and forth of of these two's performances throughout the the preseason i think just speaks to the fact that you have two talented guys and maybe not every day is going to be the best um so how does this play out? How does this work? And I think that's the question. And I think that's what Ryan Day and his staff are still trying to figure out. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to figure out in the week plus that, you know, almost two weeks that we've got until the start of the season. I don't know if they go, you know, Kyle McCord goes out, for example, for out for the first two series, Devin Brown takes the next two series. Um, I, that's one approach. You could also have, different guys in for different packages. You know, does Kyle McCord take certain plays and, and when you need kind of the dual threat nature of Devin Brown, maybe the red zone type things. Um, to, to me, that's something that still has to be determined if they're going to go in this direction and actually play both guys meaningful snaps in some of these earlier games. I want to remind everyone, still the rest of this week of practice and then all of next week of practice. And Ryan Day didn't say they definitely will play both guys, um, you know, equally against Indiana. He just said that not one guy has separated to this point. So there's still time for one guy to win this job. I think also you could get into that Indiana game and whichever guy starts, if they come out in a really good rhythm, are you going to take them off to then just put in the other guy? And, you know, I think you've seen that in in, um, similar quarterback you know two quarterbacks not systems but when there isn't a isn't a guy that's been named um so to me it would not be surprising if ryan right, doesn't necessarily name a starter but that one guy kind of becomes that guy whether that's in game and you know you're in bloomington and one of the guys like i said is just just cooking and, and you're like okay we're gonna roll with him at least for now or if that's maybe in the days leading up to the game and and I do think it's interesting because, and, and Ryan Day's talked about this, it's hard to get a complete feel for a quarterback, and not just because they don't get hit in practice, but you need to see the guy in a game to like really know. And I think that was the case with C.J. Stroud. I think everyone was, this was you know going into his second year at Ohio State, everyone was pretty sure he was going to be the starter, whether Ohio State had announced it or not. I think coming out of spring, it, w- it was pretty obvious that he was the guy ahead even if they didn't want to say as much. Um, but you hadn't seen him in a game other than, you know, a couple snaps here or there as a freshman and really just had that one run against Michigan State. Um, did have to come in, I think, in the playoff quickly for Justin Fields, but didn't have to do anything. So you, you just don't know. Like, you can you can do all the things in practice and you set up stuff in practice to, to be as game-like as possible and, and you have these scrimmages. But without preseason football – um, and even that's not the same as a regular season game, right? You you won't know until you get out there and, and the lights are on, the ball's kicked. And I think that's true with both Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, and maybe a little bit more so for Devin Brown, just because he hasn't done it uh, nearly as much. But again, like I said before, Kyle McCord, the, it's not a ton of experience. And it's not experience doing anything. You know, It's not like when Dwayne Haskins had to come in against Michigan and you were like, oh, this guy can handle it. You knew that and probably the difference between him and Joe Burrow was the fact that he did go out in meaningful uh, moments and, and make some throws and, and lead the team. And, and it's not just the throws, right? You, this is, has to be the leader of the offense and the offense has to respond to this guy. Uh, you know, and I think Kyle McCord and Devin Brown both have different personalities. And Ryan Day said that he's kept a, a close eye on kind of how the team responds to either guy. And that that is certainly part of the conversation here. Um, I think it's interesting too that taking all of that into account, Ryan Day said he wanted to get a you know a sense of of how his staff felt. You know, ultimately this is going to come down to his decision. But uh, so he, he took a poll after the second scrimmage on Saturday, and he said it was nearly split down the middle. That you know each of the coaches, and I think this is probably why there hasn't been a, a ton of consensus either way when when we report on things is because people are split. And I think coaches change it. Coaches opinions on which guy should be the starter have probably changed throughout practice. As like you said, back, you got that back and forth. Um, now, can this work? I think if you were going into the Notre Dame game without a starting quarterback, I think that is problematic for the most part. I think you would like to have, have a guy who's going to go out there you're confident in, the offense is confident in, you know how you're going to game plan it and, and all that for you know the biggest game of, of the early portion of the season. Um, now, I do think, and, and Ryan Day did point this out, if you are playing two quarterbacks and you can find a way that makes it work and they are both playing well, that does mean that every team, not just Notre Dame, but every team is going to have to game plan for both guys. And I do think that that is a little interesting dynamic um, maybe be, and this is just speculation on my part, you go through those first three games playing both guys and, and maybe internally you have a guy that you think is going to be the starter now because that should be enough time, but you don't announce anything for the Notre Dame game just to give Marcus Freeman and, and that defensive staff extra work to do on, on both guys. Um, I think even if you have named a starter, say it is Kyle McCord that you know after week two, Ryan Day says, hey, he's our guy. Um, Unless Devin Brown has been very poor and it's clear that Devin Brown just wasn't ready, which I don't think would be the case, I think you probably, if you're Notre Dame, still have to prep for Devin Brown just in case, right? And um, in a game like that, maybe you do have Devin Brown something. And again, I'm just using that as an example. Uh, But I think it's a really interesting situation for Ohio State because I know I expected, I think most people... I talked to expected there to be a decision at this point, and the fact that there isn't doesn't necessarily mean that Ohio State won't be very good offensively once again, and one, if not both, of these quarterbacks will be, uh, you know, successful for the Buckeyes. Uh, but I do think that this situation hasn't played out as many expected, and I, I believe Ryan Day when he says that's because. Both guys have, for the most part, been very good, and he's comfortable with both guys playing in, um, you know, a major college football game. And look, when you recruit talented guys this way and you develop the way that Ohio State has, maybe we shouldn't be as surprised about this. That that, you know, that I think the way that the quarterback position has played out in the past with Ryan Day, like you brought in Justin Fields, yes, Tate Martell was there, but. It was always pretty clear Justin Fields being brought in to be that guy. He had been one of the top recruits in the country coming out of high school. He had done some things at Georgia that showed you that he can, he can handle some stuff. Um, so you expected that. C.J. Stroud, yes, he had to compete against Jack Miller and Kyle McCord, but that competition, I don't think, it certainly didn't go on as long as this one. This, to me, and I've said this all offseason, was it's the first real true competition under Ryan Day's watch um, with two guys that, both could successfully lead this program at least this offense so you know it's it's interesting that we said that all off season and now we sit here less than two weeks from the uh, first game and there still hasn't been a situation made because this very real competition is still playing itself out if I were to look into a crystal ball and, and give kind of my prediction um you know well let me say this Ryan day was asked that there's kind of a thought process of, well, if you have two guys that are about equal, do you play the younger guy? Cause maybe there's a higher ceiling there. They're going to be there longer. know, uh, both guys can, can be here for two years. So I don't think there's necessarily that much, um, that much difference, but I, I think the answer for Ryan day was, well, maybe you play the more experienced guy. And, and so maybe that's kind of telling in that they, have kind of been, well, w- we assume we're going to play Kyle. You know, he's the experienced guy. We're expecting the experience to win out. and It just hasn't happened yet. Um, but it also to me is, okay, if I'm predicting again, Kyle opens the game at Indiana as the starter. Um, you see how that goes. And, and then Devin works his way into the game later. Um, you know, maybe it's the third possession. Maybe, you know, I they, they're going to have to figure that out. Uh, but that's kind of how I I can see it playing out, unless there is some separation here in the next week and a half or so. Um, I don't know if this can work throughout the course of a whole season. I think, and I said it before, the Notre Dame game that seems to me to be a point when you need to have a guy. Now, you know, maybe if they find a nice rhythm to this and it's working, but I just think we've seen, you know, you looked at. You, know, you look at Cardale and JT and and they tried to do a little bit of that. Um, I just think it's, it's tough to do at the quarterback position and no one will understand that more than Ryan day, who, you know, was a quarterback at one point, who had to win the job. And, you know, he even admitted when we've talked with him earlier this offseason that the kind of early on, he kind of looking over his shoulder at the, I think the, the other quarterback that he was competing with was an older guy, um, just kind of, You know, you needed to be sure that you're the guy uh, you just are concerned about making mistakes and things like that, that if you're the starter and you know you're the starter, you don't worry about nearly as much. So I I don't think you can run a whole season with this two quarterback system um, or how are they going to do it? I think one guy has to emerge here and I think one guy will, Um, you know, it may even come down to look, they're still pretty even, but we need to name a guy. Right. And. They're they're close, but we're gonna go with Kyle. We're gonna go with Devin. Um, you know, for whatever reason. And look, I guess if it doesn't work and you get partway through the season, and you you need to make a change, you can still do that. Now, does that does that mean you lose a game or or just a quarterback plays well and you're still able to win? I think you know that'll depend on how everything else goes. The offensive line up to snuff you know is the defense playing well jack sawyer said last week that they the defense wants to win games maybe they have to rely a little bit more on that if if it's not happening at the same level as it has at the quarterback position um i did think it was interesting ryan day mentioning last year at at tcu kind of the situation there um and and, you know that only took a week or two if i remember correctly for for them to switch quarterbacks maybe an injury i don't i'd have to go back and look at that but Um, you know, there is that possibility that you do end up going with one guy and and it doesn't work and you have to shift and things can still go well in in a season uh, that way. So look, is this the ideal situation? No, but I don't think it's the super dire situation where you don't have a quarterback and neither guy is is living up to the potential. And I I think that's important to stress. This is a a situation of, of both guys have shown things that could earn in another situation than being the starter. Uh, But then the other guy shows something. And and so again, back and forth, neck and neck, whatever you want to call it. uh, I think that's a very honest assessment of what's happened with this program um, at the quarterback position. How does that affect the rest of the offense? Again, I I think the offensive line is, is the first thing you, you have to wonder about um, though. It sounds like they are settling a bit more into that with, uh, the, at least the starting five or I, talked about liking some of the depth pieces as well uh, that have developed, but like you, you, you need, you have Marvin Harrison, you have a Mecca Buka at receivers, right? You don't want to waste a year of them going back and forth with quarterbacks. You want to get a guy out there that can just get them the ball. That's, that's the priority for Ohio state is you don't have to make the, the great throw, especially early on in the season. Just get the ball to these guys, you know, use your running backs. You've got, four or five running backs who could start most places around the country. Those are guys that you can get the ball to kind of lean on that. I wrote about that last week, Um, leaning on the running game a little bit and, you know, not having, whichever quarterback it is, not having to rely on him to, to be C.J. Stroud, to be Justin Fields, at least early on. Um, So look, I I, I talked to a few Ohio State fans, of friends of mine the other day that were really disappointed or yesterday they were disappointed that it's gotten this far and, and no quarterback's been named i'm not concerned about it right now uh i think ryan day has, has proven that he knows how to handle these situations and while this i think is is a newish one for him in the sense that usually someone emerges um i, I trust that they will handle it well to, well enough to win games uh so and, and like i said before i think at some point this they will have to name a guy and just go with that for, for at least a few games and see how it goes. Um, You know, you you do worry about transfer portal and stuff like that, but I don't think you can, you can be too concerned about that when the ultimate goal is beating Indiana and then beating Youngstown state and then beating West, you know, and so on and so forth. You have to win these games and you have to go with the the best guy to do that. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they continue to use both all season and it works out really well. Um, There are examples out there that, you, you've seen that, but I think at this level uh, you need a guy, you know, if Ohio state is going to be the team that it, they possibly can this year. Um, I think you need a guy to, to eventually take the job and, and run with it. So kind of my thoughts on that. Uh, it, it will certainly be interesting to see how this plays out. Cause it's not at all how I think any of us expected it. And, you know, again, maybe we, maybe we should have read into it more just because there are so many talented, you know, both guys are very talented, I guess is how I should say it. We're gonna wrap this one up. Um, we were gonna try and do this podcast last week with, with Tim, uh Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, but couldn't get the uh the schedule worked out. So we may do a second bucknuts happy hour later in the week when we normally do it. Uh obviously there's plenty to talk about heading into the season. So keep an eye out for that. We'll see how the rest of the week goes. But that's kind of my plan now, maybe either either Thursday or Friday. As we head into the first weekend of college football, week zero—not um, not not the full slate of games just yet—but quite uh, quite a, quite a good. Well, anything would be good at this point, right? It's it's uh, the first weekend of college football we haven't had it in quite a while, um, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you guys are as well. Then after that, we're back into a a normal game week, and we'll start off. If, if you have forgotten from last year, generally the, the weekly schedule is uh, we talk with Ryan Day and an assistant coach or two. Uh, sometimes, you know, last year we talked with CJ a lot. Those are on Tuesdays, um, late morning, early afternoon. I forget exactly what time. Usually it's around noon, I think. And then um, we, we come back Wednesday evening with player interviews after practice and then the Ryan Day shows on Thursday, and then it's into the game. So that is, from my understanding, still going to be the schedule just for your kind of planning purposes of when you're going to see various uh, press conferences and, and whatnot. But we're here. We're in the swing of it. It's, it's been a long run throughout the off season. It's been fun, but I'm excited to watch some real football, and uh, I'm sure you are as well. And Look, just over a week, we'll be talking about the Buckeyes headed to Bloomington, and then Steve and myself, off to IU over the weekend. So look forward to it. Keep an eye out. See if we do a second uh, happy hour this week. If not, we definitely will heading into that first game in Indiana. Thanks again, Buckeye fans. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, it's just a water cheers today, but cheers nonetheless.